Well, over the last uh, two weeks, we've been exploring the Apostle Paul's expose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been taking this incredible tour of all of the many blessings that we receive through the good news of the gospel. Uh, We started two weeks ago looking at God's covenant with Abraham and how salvation comes by faith alone. It's not of works. It's by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Last week, then, Pastor Stephen talked about God's covenant with Moses and how God had given the law to serve as a a temporary guardian and caretaker uh, to to help us understand God's moral character, but but it was never intended to be a vehicle leading to our salvation. It it was simply a, a tool God used to help us recognize our own fallenness and shortcomings and, and our need for a Savior. And now today, Paul is going to wrap up this three-week journey, uh, unveiling, unfolding the beauty of the gospel to us by taking to us to the very pinnacle of the gospel, to, to the very summit of the gospel, and showing us this incredible, expansive view of the glorious treasures that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at God's covenant with us through Jesus Christ, and how that covenant ushers us into some incredible blessings, the blessings of fellowship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And so today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going to see Paul unfold to us, again, the, this, this pinnacle, this summit view of the richness of the treasures that we have. In Jesus Christ. Let's read our passage together, and then I want to highlight three of the incredible blessings that we see here in our passage today. Paul says to the Galatians, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. What an incredible passage of Scripture that speaks to the incredible blessings that we receive through our faith in Jesus Christ. This morning I want to highlight three of these blessings that we read about here in our passage. And the first of these blessings that we receive through Jesus Christ is a new identity. We are given a new identity. When I was in college, I spent a couple summers working at a camp out in California. And on the opening nights of our camp sessions, we would always have a large picnic where we would all meet out on the ball fields, the activity field, and and our cooks would make this great spread, you know, and kids would just 
hang out, mingle, had, play mixer games, get to know one another. And I remember one session one summer as we were all gathering on the ball field playing and eating and having a good time, I looked off over on the steps leading up to one of the cabins and here was a young boy, probably a 6th, 7th grader, maybe 12, 13 years old. And while all these other hundreds of kids were playing and having a great time, here was this young man sitting off by himself. And, and so I went over to, to talk to this young man, and, and I walked up to him, and I sat down beside him, and, and I said to him, I said, hey, what's your name? And he didn't even look up at me. He just said, I don't have a name. I said, what do you mean you don't have a name? Everybody has a name. He says, no, I'm nobody. You know, friends, I think there are a lot of people in our world that feel just like that little boy. A lot of people in our world who have this feeling like they're nobody, that they don't matter, that that nobody cares about them. And, And maybe even some of us here in the sanctuary this morning have wrestled with that very same thought. Do I matter? Does anybody care? And friends, one of the most powerful truths of the gospel that we find in our passage this morning is that everybody is somebody in Jesus Christ. You see, when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you receive a new identity. You are adopted into God's family. You are declared to be a child of God. What an incredible thought that is. And and friends, unless we appreciate the reality of our adoption into God's family, we are always going to miss out on the fullness and beauty that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our adoption as God's sons is really the pinnacle of the gospel. As Sinclair Ferguson described, our sonship to God is the apex of creation. It's the highest glory of God's creation to be called a son of God. J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, he says adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. There's no greater privilege associated with the gospel of Jesus Christ than to be called a son of God. See, friends, a lot of people stop at justification when they think about the gospel. And we've talked a lot about justification so far in our series, and justification is an incredible aspect of the gospel. Justification is when God declares us as fallen sinful beings. He declares us righteous through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And a lot of people would say, that's the height of the gospel. It doesn't get any better than that to be declared righteous in God's eyes. And friends, while that is an incredible blessing, the even greater blessing that comes with the gospel is to be known as one who is adopted into God's family, to be called a son of God. You see, justification in justification, the picture is a legal picture. It's like standing in a courtroom guilty, knowing your condemnation awaits you, and then the judge declares you to be innocent. Your debt has been wiped away. But you see, in adoption, the judge not only declares you innocent, the judge steps down 
from behind his chamber. And he walks down to the floor and he removes your shackles. He takes off the handcuffs and he wraps his arms around you and he says, now you're coming home with me. I'm adopting you as my own son. See, justification makes us right before God, the judge. But in adoption, we experience the intimate love of God, the Father. We become sons of God. And friends, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, that's what you are. That's who you are. You are an adopted son of God. What an incredible privilege. Now, there are some people who would take offense at Paul's use of the word son here in our passage. Well, what do you mean, Jason? I'm a, I'm a son of God. I mean, Paul's only speaking to half the church here this morning, right? What about us women here this morning? And there are some people in our world who even take this passage so far as to declare Paul being a sexist or Paul chauvinistic. He's ignoring half of the church. But see, what we need to understand this morning is Paul is not being sexist or chauvinistic in this statement. In fact, sadly, some Bible translations actually even change the wording of this passage to say not that we're sons of God, but that we're children of God or we're part of the family of God. And when they make that move, friends, they miss out on the revolutionary teaching that Paul is conveying here in this passage. See, Paul is not being chauvinistic. He is being radically egalitarian. When you understand the context of what Paul's talking about here, in the ancient world, in Galatia where Paul was talking, in the Roman Empire, in the Jewish culture, women had no rights to inherit property. It was only the male sons in the family who could own and inherit property. And so Paul, by declaring all members of the church as sons, Paul is saying to all of us, men and women alike, little boys, little girls, old men, old women, he's saying to all of us alike, you are sons of God. You are heirs in God through Christ. You have all the rights and privileges of a son. Friends, this was a revolutionary concept in the first century to tell both men and women alike that you are equal as heirs. The world had never heard a message like this before. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ provided the seedbed for the dignity and value of women that ultimately developed in Western culture. You need to understand this, friends. There was no such thing as Title IX in first century Galatia. There was no women's march in the Greek culture. There was no Me Too movement in the Roman Empire. Friends, all of these things, every movement that sought to elevate women in our world over the last 2,000 years can trace its origins directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just a fact of history. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ that elevated the dignity and value of women in our world. Because all of us in Jesus are equal as sons of God. We are all heirs. And if you think God is choosing his language incorrectly here, remember, God didn't play favorites between men and women. 
While he calls us sons of God in this passage, he also refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Men and women alike are the bride of Christ. We are all one. We are all united in Jesus. See, the gospel declares that each of us are heirs. Now, not only does God adopt us as sons through faith in Jesus Christ, but Paul goes on in our passage to tell us that our new identity in Christ also comes with new clothing. Some of you young people here, maybe you're in, in high school, you know the, the joy, the privilege that comes with, with getting your uniform, right? Maybe, it, maybe it's the band sweatshirt, or maybe it's wearing your football jersey to school on Friday mornings, or, or maybe it's uh, you know, the t-shirt that says you're part of the, the uh, honor society, whatever it might be. Friends, when we put on that uniform, it represents a sense of belonging, a sense of identity. And in verse 27 of our passage this morning, Paul says that when we are baptized into Christ, we become clothed with Christ. We put on the clothing of Christ. Some of you might be thinking here, well, is Paul talking about water baptism here or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Paul says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So what is he talking about, water baptism or or baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer to that question is yes. He's talking about both. What does it mean to be baptized into Jesus Christ? Well, Paul elaborates on this concept in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So understand this, friends. We are baptized into Christ first and foremost when we believe the message of the gospel by faith and then we are sealed in our faith by the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us. That's the first baptism. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you see, in the early church, the baptism of the Spirit was often almost immediately accompanied by water baptism, by being baptized by immersion into water. And so when Paul talks about being baptized into Christ, he's talking about both of these things in the first century context. Both putting your trust in Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized into the Spirit, but also those people he was speaking to would have understood that that also then implied obedience to Christ by being baptized in water. It was a twofold process. These things went hand in hand in the ancient world. We're not saved by our baptism, but our baptism is an outward expression of the inner work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And these things are part and parcel of the Christian faith. Friends, I just, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you haven't yet taken the step of, of obedience to be baptized in water by immersion, you're missing out on an important aspect of, of our faith as followers of Jesus. Jesus left us two ordinances. He left us the practice of communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and he called his people to be baptized. And so we perform our baptism not to earn our salvation. We're saved by faith. We're sealed by faith. But we practice baptism as a way of publicly demonstrating and declaring our allegiance to our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. So if that's something you haven't done yet, I'd encourage you to consider being baptized. You can talk to one of our pastors here or wait and hear for our next baptism service at Lakes Free, but we would love 
to help you take that step of obedience. So Paul says here that through faith in Christ, we become clothed with Christ. And what this means then is that our new identity as adopted sons of God ultimately becomes increasingly visible and evident in all areas of our lives. In other words, we are positionally made right in Christ, but our position in Christ begins to overflow into who we are personally in Christ. So to be clothed with Christ is to begin to look more and more like Jesus. It should begin to permeate all aspects of our lives. When people look at us, they should see the character and reflection of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. I heard a story recently about a a young family that had recently adopted a, a little boy from Korea. He was about nine years old, and, and uh, this, uh, this family had adopted him. And one evening, they went out to dinner together. And as this family was eating dinner in the restaurant, at the table right next to them, there was another family, and, and there was a little boy in that family that was about the same age. And, and he kind of kept looking over curiously at this little Korean boy sitting with these two Caucasian parents, and like he was trying to figure out what was going on here. And, and, and so after a few minutes, this little boy at the other table, he, he leaned over and asked this Korean boy, he said, how come you don't look like your mom? Well, this little Korean boy, he kind of looked back at him curiously and said, well, because she's a girl. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Now, friends, here's the reality. While this little boy in our story might not have looked like his adoptive parents, When we as followers of Jesus are adopted by God, we are forever clothed in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we begin to grow increasingly in the likeness of Jesus Christ. See, understand this. This was a radical argument that the Apostle Paul was making in first century Galatia. Remember, the Judaizers had come into the churches of Galatia, and the Judaizers were telling these Christians that there was more they needed to do to earn God's approval. Trusting in Jesus alone wasn't good enough. There there was more you had to do. You had to keep the law to earn God's approval. And Paul's basically saying here, what more could you ever do to earn God's approval? He's already called you a son. He's already declared you clothed. In Jesus Christ, what more could you ever do? What a privilege, what a blessing we have through the gospel. The second blessing we receive through Jesus Christ is not only a new identity, but a new community. A new community. Verse 28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. Now, the truth here in verse 28 flows out of the reality of our common identity in Jesus. And it's because of our common identity that a a truly gospel rooted church, friends, will be a church that inevitably becomes characterized by radical unity. If we're a church based in the gospel, friends, we are going to be a church that demonstrates radical unity. In our relationships, we are all one in Jesus Christ. And again, friends, this was a radical concept in the ancient world. This kind of unity, the commonality of all people, the world knew nothing like this. In fact, there was a common prayer in the Jewish world of this day. Jewish men, 
each morning would wake up and they would pray, God, I thank you today that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. That was a real prayer that Jewish men would pray in the first century. And the Apostle Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, literally turned that prejudicial prayer upside down on its head. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, tells us that all of us are one in Jesus Christ. Friend, the world had never heard a message like this before. And now while Paul declares that we are all one in Jesus Christ, understand this this morning, friends, he isn't saying that there aren't any distinctions within the church. Okay, We're obviously not all identical or interchangeable. God has given us different roles. He's given us different spiritual gifts. He's given us different callings. We are not all one. We're not all identical. That's not what Paul is saying here. But in spite of our differences, we are all one in Jesus Christ. One of the great examples of this that I've seen in my time here at Lakes Free is is the example of our elder board here at Lakes Free. Our elder board, which is is voted on by our membership and, and entrusted with leading and serving our church. It's been really fascinating to me over the last nine years to, to watch who has participated on our elder board. We've had doctors. We've had business executives. We've had engineers. We've had construction workers, contractors, teachers, machinists, people from a whole variety of social standings and backgrounds. And yet when they sit together at that elder board... They are one in Christ. They are brothers in Jesus Christ. They are equals together, leading and serving our church in love and humility. And and what a beautiful picture, friends. You see, the, the church, more than any other institution in the world, should be defined by the radical unity that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, while it's true, we haven't always lived up to this calling like we should. It is a calling we should strive for because the gospel demands it. And before I move on, I want to highlight one final implication of this point. See, understand, Paul wasn't advocating for broader social change here in these verses. He was speaking to the church. He was calling the church to this radical unity. But you see, what happened What happened as a result of the gospel beginning to transform hearts and lives in the ancient world is that it eventually began to impact the surrounding culture. And so in the same way that the gospel provided the seedbed for the elevation of women in the ancient world, it is also the gospel that's been the driving force behind many of the other great social revolutions that we've seen throughout history. For example, the eradication of infanticide, the abolitionist movement, the elimination of slavery throughout the British Empire and in America, the elimination of child labor and promoting universal education for all people, desegregation and the anti-apartheid movement, uh, the, the caring for the poor and least of these in our society, advocating for prisoners' rights and human rights. And we could go on and on and on this morning, friends. These movements all trace their roots to the radical unity of humanity that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You see, how could I ever despise another man who was also clothed in Jesus Christ? How could I ever look down on another person who, like me, is a son of God? Or how could I abuse or exploit a fellow brother or sister in Jesus Christ? See, friends, the gospel changes everything. And oh my, how our world needs the message of the gospel today. The division and hatred and divisiveness we see in our world today. Friends, politics is not the answer. Jesus Christ and the radical unity of the gospel is the answer. The world needs Jesus. And the world needs the church to be a show-and-tell kind of people who show the world a better way through the unity that we have in the fellowship of the gospel, who speak words of hope and love and inclusiveness at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We all come as sinners, but we are all equal, heirs, sons of God, by faith in Christ. Thirdly, this morning, in Jesus Christ, we receive the blessing of a new inheritance. And here in verse 29 through chapter 4, verse 2, we discover three privileges that come with our new inheritance. Number one, we are no longer under the law. Let me read starting in verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. What's Paul talking about here? Well, in the Roman culture, friends, a child was not considered to be an adult until they were 25 years of age. So so if you were a little boy who was in line to become the heir of your father's estate... Okay, you were considered no better than a slave. And you were under guardians and trustees until you reached 25 years of age. And when you turned 25, the, the Roman Empire, there was a ceremony that would be held for young men that transitioned from boyhood to adulthood at 25 years of age. It was the ceremony called legalia. And what would happen there is these men would take off their childish clothes. And they would receive the toga of a man. That was the symbol of them transitioning from boyhood to manhood. They were no longer under the authority of guardians and trustees. They had become a man with the full rights of their estate. And cultures all over the world have ceremonies like these, where a child goes into manhood. When I was in the Philippines, for example, growing up, my family served there as missionaries. Uh, In the region of the Philippines where we lived, I discovered that a boy becomes a man at 10 years old. And one of the symbolic ceremonies that this particular area had to uh, demonstrate a boy turning to a man is that that boy was required to eat fish eyes. Well, you know, I'm 10 years old. I'm thinking, I want to become a man, right? So I'm going to eat some fish eyes. So some of the guys in the village where we were at uh, took us down to the ocean and found a local fisherman who had just brought in his catch and got this big old fish, and they plucked out its nickel-sized eyeballs. And sure enough, I popped those suckers in because I wanted to become a man. 
I was 10 years old. It was the time set for my transition into manhood. By the way, it tasted like chicken. (laughs) But in the same way, friends, the time set by our Heavenly Father for our maturity was the arrival of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Stephen talked about last week, the coming of Jesus Christ ushered in a new era for God's people. We are no longer under the guardianship of the law. Paul's argument is that we have spiritually moved into maturity through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. And by our faith in Christ, we all receive our full inheritance. The second privilege that we have in our new inheritance is we are no longer slaves to sin. Verses 3 through 5 of our passage. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, now what does Paul mean when he speaks of the basic principles of our world? Friends, what Paul is talking about here is the fundamental reality of the fallen nature of our world. The reality that our whole world is enslaved in the corruption of sin. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Friends, we are enslaved by sin in this world. The whole world is groaning. But the good news of the gospel is that God sent his son to redeem us and to liberate us from this bondage to decay, to to free us from our slavery to sin. And friends, only Jesus could provide this redemption. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only Jesus. Well, isn't that narrow? Isn't that exclusive? Yes, it is. Because there was only one in all of history who was sufficient to purchase our redemption, and that was Jesus. Look again at verse 4 of our passage. Paul says, God sent his Son Jesus Christ was the very Son of God, and as such, he lived a perfectly righteous life. Paul goes on, he was born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, Jesus was truly human, and he knew our trials and temptations. But as the Son of God and born of a woman, fully man, as fully God and fully man, Jesus through his death on the cross, provided the holy, sufficient payment for our redemption. He was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. And it's because of Jesus that we have been purchased or redeemed out of slavery. We are no longer held in bondage to the basic principles of this world, our world's fallen nature. We have been bought out of slavery through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, this morning, Paul tells us we receive, through the privileges of our new inheritance, intimate access to our Heavenly Father. And friends, it doesn't get any better than this. Intimate access to our Heavenly Father. Let me read for us, starting in verse 5. 
Verse 6, I'm sorry. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. God has sent the spirit into our hearts. The Holy Spirit who lives within us. And because of that, friends, we have the right as God's people, his children, to cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba there is an Aramaic word. It was a childish word. It meant daddy. Like a little kid, my son Caleb and daughter Addie, you know, when they're home at night and they're sick up in their bedrooms or, or they have a bad dream, they cry out, Dad, Daddy. Because they know that their daddy will be there for them. They know their daddy cares about them. Their daddy loves them. And in the same way, friends, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are privileged with intimate access to our Heavenly Father, our Abba, our Daddy. I had a great dad. One of my dad's favorite sayings to my brother and I growing up, he used to always tell us, he would whisper it in our ears at night, he would remind us of it before he went on his business trips, he would tell it to us on the phone when he would call to check in on us. He would always say to us, guys, we're pals. And what do pals do? And the reply was, we stick together. We're pals. And what do pals do? We stick together. You see, friends, I always knew that my dad was there for me. I always knew that I could count on my dad because we were pals, and pals stick together. And I know that there are some of you here this morning who didn't have an example of an earthly father like that. You didn't have a father that you would ever consider calling your pal. In fact, some of you didn't have an earthly father at all. But I'll tell you something, friends, even greater than my dad's love and compassion for me was the gift he gave me in pointing me to my heavenly father, my true pal, who always sticks close to me, who never leaves me and never forsakes me, who's always there for me, intimately responding to my needs, to my hurts, to my cares. He's always there. He's our Abba. He's our daddy. What a great privilege we have as God's people to be called sons of God, to be adopted into his family, to be heirs of all of his glories, to be able to call out to our Heavenly Father any time of the day, Abba, Daddy. What a privilege we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your love. And we thank you, Jesus, that in you we have the right to be called your sons. And that's not about chauvinism. That's not about sexism. That's about you making a radical declaration to the world that all of us, male and female alike, are one in Jesus Christ. And along with that inheritance, God, we experience the radical unity that comes in the family of God. And we experience the privileges and blessings of being your children and being able to come to you and call you daddy. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good to us. I pray that everybody here today knows the joy and privilege and hope that's found in a relationship with you. I pray this in your name. Amen.
Would you stand with us as we close? Thank you.